0: David, Uh, my wife, Emily, uh, wishes that she could be here, but she can't at the moment. Uh, My son, Calvin, Lulu, she's nine, and Elizabeth, sweet baby Elizabeth, she's 18 months old. We, uh, okay, so really fast, we moved to the country of Papua New Guinea in two thousand. 14, 2015, we learned the first national language. We moved into a tribal group called Maliali. We've been ministering among the Malayali people group, learning their language, doing literacy, teaching them how to read and write, and then presenting the gospel within their language with translated scriptures in their language for the very first time. I'm gonna begin to explain that. But just so you guys are aware, we have been living in Malayali for the last, what, seven plus years. We have been serving in the country of Papua New Guinea for the last, what, um, uh, close to 10 years now. And so we're back on furlough and we get this opportunity to come and speak to you guys. And so we're, yeah, super stoked. I think one of the biggest things, I think when we talk about mission or missions, we look at this book. And we see a number of stories. Actually, we see multiple books. But what I want you guys to really understand, if you could walk away with one thing, this is what I want you to walk away with. This is one book with one story for one purpose. And it has one mission, that God would be made known among the nations where he currently is not. There are places in the world that do not know the name of God, not because somebody can't or not because somebody's embarrassed to tell or unwilling to tell. It's because they don't have access to the knowledge of God because their language is a barrier. No one knows their language apart from them. Thousands of people, groups that will never hear the gospel simply because the gospel is not accessible to them. But what I want you to understand is this is one complete story from beginning to end. We understand in the book of Genesis, God created everything perfectly. And in so doing, he created man and woman, male and female, Adam and Eve. He created them in perfect innocence. And in Genesis chapter 3, we understand that the fall of Adam and Eve happened. That Satan came into the garden and he deceived them. We understand that they lost their paradise, but they didn't lose their purpose. God told them before they fell go into all the world or multiply, fill up the earth with babies, subdue, have dominion, be king and queen of this earth. So ultimately, what God is saying is fill up the earth with image bearers and fill out the earth so that this garden would inevitably spread throughout the whole entire world. But they fell. They lost paradise, but they didn't lose their purpose. In fact, they continue to have babies. But what we understood from generation after generation after generation, you get into Genesis chapter 6 and something devastating is happening. Something so incredibly devastating that God sees every intention of the heart and every thought of the mind is absolutely, unequivocally, always, continually evil. And so he chose to flood the world, destroying all of the created order, both human and animal. But in so doing, he saves his friend and his family, Noah, and his sons and his wife, along with the created order of creation. And they come out of the boat. And do you know what God tells Noah? God gives Noah the same commissioning statement that he gave to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, be king and queen and rule. Eventually, your generations would fill up the earth with children. And inevitably, you would fill out this earth with a garden that would span the entire earth and everyone would be able to call upon my name. But what do we understand? They begin multiplying, right? Generation after generation with one language, this one people group, what do they decide? Let's build a city. And in Genesis chapter 11, we have the, this one people with one language are creating a city so that they would not what? That they would not scatter. They're in direct disobedience. They heard what God said, but they are willing to not go to the ends of the earth. They don't want to spread out like God told them. Be fruitful, multiply, fill up the earth. No, 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 no. They want to build a city and stay in one place. But even more so, they're not just building a city, but they begin to build a tower so that they would call, so that they would build this tower. And in so doing, people would look at this tower and they would begin to lift up their name. Instead of them marveling at Yahweh, they wanted Yahweh to come and marvel at them. But instead, in Genesis chapter 11, we see Yahweh did come. He did come down with his counsel, but he didn't marvel. He confused this one language, and he scattered this one people into many, which created nations. Scattered peoples. Plunged into darkness. Do you know what Babel represents? It's the inaccessibility of Yahweh. He scatters them so incredibly far into the darkness of the world where there is no garden, where there is no accessibility, and his name would not be known unless someone goes and tells them. So in Genesis chapter 12, do you know what Jesus, or you know what God does? He chooses Adam or Abraham. He chooses Abraham and he blesses him and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a great people, so numerous that you will be a light to the nations. And in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We understand when Israel is finally getting into the land, they are going to be that light for the nations. The nations that are in the dark, they don't have access to Yahweh. They don't have his truth. They don't have his knowledge. But Israel does. They're to be a a lighthouse for the people. But instead of being a lighthouse... Man, they loved to be loved by God. They loved him to fight their battles, but they deliriously wanted to love something else. They looked at the nations and they looked at their false gods and they say, that's what we want. And instead of seeking to lift up Yahweh for the nations, they ultimately become like the nations themselves, plunged into utter darkness, according to Isaiah chapter 9, that they become just like the nations that they sought to serve. They become empty and worthless like the idols that they bowed down to, plunged into darkness, carried away into captivity until Matthew chapter 4. Where Jesus Christ steps on the scene and he fulfills Isaiah chapter 9. Jesus Christ shines the light for the very first time. The kingdom has arrived. The Savior has come. The King of kings is present. I am here to liberate my people from the domain of darkness. And as I liberate them through the good news that I have come to bring, my Father will take them, according to Colossians, and transfer them from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of mine. My kingdom they will be transferred into. Man, and then Jesus, right before he returns back to his Father, do you know what he says to his disciples in Matthew 28? He says, go into the nations, make disciples disciples, Baptize, teach them everything I've commanded you and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says this task of going into the nations and shining light where there is darkness, that's now for you. This is what I want you to be a part of. Man, we were a small piece to the overall puzzle of seeing the nations reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like I said, we moved our family. Man, we packed up. Uh, we sold our things, our, our babies. They were babies, man. My son's 12, but I think he was probably around five when we moved in uh, to the country of Papua New Guinea. We, we landed in Papua New Guinea, specifically the country, and we learned the first language and the first Culture. Melanesian talk pigeon. Mib I go looking one blah hop. Nah, sitting down low. This blah, nah, kai, one time you blah. Time mibla boong nah mibla kai penis. So okay, mibla talk talk one time you blah. Now buy me come back in. So we learn this language. But they had already received the gospel. At the point of which we learn this language and learn this culture, our leadership gave us a list. This list was not of names, this list was like GPS coordinates. And they said, these are all the people that we have previously marked on a paper that reside in the hill country of this particular province. You can choose one of these and survey to see if you guys would want to live among them. You guys, Mali Ali didn't even have a name previous. No one knew their name. The only people that knew that Malayali existed were these men who previously hiked through this mountain range and found them. But they weren't able to communicate with them, so all they did was write down their GPS locations. So that one day, people that had come to Papua New Guinea to live among an unreached people group would take that number, hike to them, and for the first time in their history say, listen, this is what we've come to do. We've come to learn your language and culture. We've come to teach you how to read and write in your language. We've come to translate this book of truth from the one creator God. And we've come to tell you that story. And when we hiked into Malayali, when we tried to find these people groups, I was puking the entire way. It was ridiculously hard. But by the time we finally got to the Malayali people and we were able to give them some goods, and they killed a pig just in representation of like, hey, we're friends. We came back. We told our wives and our kids, maybe this is the place. We're not sure. Let's pray about it. We prayed about it, and then we went back to say, hey, these four things, but they had no idea what we were saying. We were trying our absolute best with different things and going through translators and trying to get them to understand this is why we've come, but ultimately, they had no idea. Because their language had never been spoken outside of their tribal context. They have no Rosetta Stone. Their language hasn't been written down. The first time we heard the Malayali language was the very first day we went into their tribe. Man, we decided to move among the Malayali people, to live among the Malayali people. We cut down trees. We brought in a sawmill to make timber so we could build our houses to live among them to learn their language and culture. And we would walk outside after building our houses. After that whole completion is done, we walk outside and we would hear ya wo, ya And we we'd wait, and from the distance we heard ya ya wo. And we were like, what the heck are they saying? So we began to write sounds, which ultimately turned into. Symbols. Those symbols turned into words. Those words turned into phrases. Those phrases into sentences, sentences to paragraphs, paragraphs to stories. And after three years, we finally graduated into the fluency of their language. We were able to then speak like adults. But it wasn't our time to share the gospel yet. We wanted them to not only hear the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly in their language, but for those who would have the ability, for those who desired, we wanted to be able to teach them how to read and write so they could see the word of God for themselves. We created a literacy program. That literacy program taught them how to read and write. Like I said, they're an oral culture. Their language had never been written down in the history of their tribal context, so Creating an alphabet, we taught them how to read and write in their language so that they could see, not just hear the word of God, but they could see the word of God for themselves. And then we began to translate scripture into their language. The benefit of translating scripture is not only that they would hear the word of God, but they would see the word of God and be transformed buy it. This video is just a small picture of what those first two stages looked like. You guys, I cannot tell you how incredibly excited the Malayali people were when we started translating scripture they knew something was coming. They did not know what was coming, but they knew something was coming. You see, there was one time where I was sitting down within the translation process. We haven't even gotten to teaching. We're in the translation process. So think about this. We did 53 lessons to teach them this chronological story from Genesis to Revelation, 53 lessons. So think about like, we translated 53 chapters of the Bible so that we could tell this one story to the Malayali people. In the beginning of that story, we ended up having to come back to America. And I remember the helicopter. We're a helicopter location only. It's ridiculously remote in Malayali. We're like on the side of a mountain. We can't build an airstrip. We're a helicopter location only. The helicopter has landed. The bags are packed. We're ready to go. I'm in my office with my best friend, Alec. And he's like, David, can you just tell me what you've come to tell us. I, I, I know you're going, but you, can you just tell me really fast? I said, man, I'm so sorry. Now we have a, a brother relationship. He's, he's the one who taught me language. I've spent the most time with his family. I'm just like, man, I'm so sorry. I cannot tell you yet. We're, not, we're just not there. And he's like, well, David, okay, you're going, but what if you don't come back? How will I hear it? Thankfully, we work with, we have coworkers. The Mueller's—they have kids, Earls. Uh, so Nathan and Rachel Mueller, Chad and Martha Earl—they're there. I'm like, man, don't worry. The Mueller's and the Earls are here. But just chill. We're gonna come back. We're gonna come back. And he says, David, what if, what if you don't come back? What if I die? What if I die and I don't get to hear this message? And I look at him and I'm, I'm I said, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you're going to have to wait. And most people would be like, what the heck, David? Why wouldn't you just share the message with them right then and there? Well, we have some massive problems when we get into un, unengaged peoples, unreached people groups, specifically languages that have never been heard outside of their tribal context. The Malayali people don't have an economy like sociologically for forgiveness or love. Therefore, because they don't have that a part of their social network, they don't even have a word for that in their language. How do you explain the gospel without having a word for love or forgiveness? There were so many hurdles that we had to get over in the translation process, but finally we did. And I looked at my best friend, Alec, and I said, listen, the day before teaching, I said, man, this whole time you've been waiting for something, and it's coming. Tomorrow, we're going to teach you God's talk. And we began to teach them the story. And we began in Genesis 1.1. Literally, we started with this relationship that existed between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that there was this harmony, that there was this happiness that they had. And the Malayali people were dumbfounded. They were like, whoa, this is the sweetest thing ever. How in the world did this harmony, this love, this experience between God, how did this even happen? This is something we've never experienced. We're completely undone. And then we get to the narrative of creation and they realize, man, all these things were made for man and woman. And man and woman not only get to enjoy all the things he created, but they, are, they get to be invited into this joy and this fellowship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Man, they loved it, but they saw the discrepancy. They saw the great divide. Why do we not have this relationship now? And then we get to Genesis chapter 3, and the people in Malayali begin to weep. They begin to weep because they finally saw not just that Adam and Eve lost paradise, not just because Adam and Eve sinned, but they saw themselves in the people of Adam and Eve. They saw themselves and they saw their sin, and that sin separates them from the presence of God. No longer able to enjoy this hope, this joy, this harmony... Completely undone. But we get into Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that the promised Messiah, the Yomatifu Mofi, the road-cutting man, he's going to come and he's going to get us back. Yomatifu le yufko moaputeu. Oaputeu if nauf opuwe maniwe meh. Maniwe with nauf maniliameh. This guy's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. He's going to remove his people's sins, and he's going to bring them back into a right relationship with God. You guys, from that point on, they were just deliriously excited. We're waiting for this guy. And we get to the story of Noah, and they're like, this is the guy. This is the guy. This is who we've been waiting for. And then they see, nope, he's not the guy we're waiting for. And then we get to Abraham and they're like, yes, this is the guy. This is the guy we've been waiting for. The promise of the blessing is going to come through him. This is he's going to bless us. And they realize, no, it's not Abraham. Then we get to Moses and they're like, is this the one? And they realize, no, this is not the one. And then we finally get to David and they're like, this is the one. This is is why your parents named you David. Because David is the one we've been waiting for. They not only saw that David wasn't the one they were waiting for, but every single king after him wasn't either. Until we finally get to Matthew chapter 1. And it's the declaration that one is coming who is the line of David. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's coming And then we see in in Matthew chapter 2, he's not just like Moses, but he's an even greater liberator of his people. And we get to Matthew chapter 3, and Jesus Christ is not just like another Savior like Moses, but he is the Savior. The dove descends just like the dove came back to Noah and showed Noah the floodwaters are receding. The dove is falling upon Jesus and saying, finally, Satan's sin and death, its reign is at an end. Man, and they see in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is now the one true Adam. He did everything in that garden, specifically that wilderness, that Adam couldn't do. He He obeyed his father absolutely perfectly. Man, the people were enraptured by Jesus. This is the one we're going to follow, David. This is the one we're going to follow. He's the promised Messiah. He's this. He's that. He's this. He's clean. He's, he's bright light. He's the one who's going to bring us back into this fellowship. And as the story progressed, do you know one of the biggest things that resonated with him? He may be the king of kings and lord of lords, but he stoops so incredibly low to not only talk with, but touch the untouchables. The people that no one wanted to be around. The people that were completely downcast, in despair, absolutely depressed, without hope. Jesus gets so incredibly low and helps those people. Oh man, they saw Jesus. And they loved him. But then they saw Jesus is being accused. More than being accused, he's being treated like a criminal. More than a criminal, he's hung crucified but then they thought they saw on the third day man Jesus Christ rose and they said absolutely yes Jesus is the one we've been waiting for they looked at Jesus on the cross and they finally realized because of his resurrection that is our sin that's the payment for our place Jesus took our sin he takes our death and he gives us his life because of the resurrection So many people on that day saw Jesus Christ clearly for who he was. They bowed their knee in allegiance and they swore by putting their faith in Jesus that he was their one and only road. This is a small video of what that last season looked like. You guys, for the longest time, I saw this one book as a yearbook. We all know what we do with a yearbook, right? The time you get your yearbook, the first thing that you need to do is what? Look for your friends? No, you look for your picture. For so long, I used the Bible as a yearbook, constantly looking for my story, constantly looking for my picture. You know the one truth that finally hit me? this is not my story. This book is not my book. This mission is not my mission. But his story, his mission, his book, we get to be a part of it. Man, so many times I think we know so much truth. One of the times, one my really good friend he sat me down and he said David can you can you finish this verse be still and know and i said that i am god and he said can you finish it for me and i said i did how many of you right now are thinking you did but i didn't it's psalm 46 it says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. My name will be proclaimed among all peoples. You see, we, we may get the truth, but if we miss the verse, then that's a problem. And if we miss enough verses, then we may miss the story. And if we miss the story, then we miss our purpose. And if we miss our purpose, we miss, we miss the mission. And in missing all those things, this simply just becomes a yearbook. But do you know what he's given us? Not just the beginning, but he's given us the end. Revelation 7, 9. At the very end of time, all nations, all peoples, all languages, all tribes will surround the throne of God and worship him for the very first time. He will be proclaimed where he is not. You might be thinking, what do I need to do? How can I start this process? Jesus looked at the crowds and do you know what he told his disciples? And start praying. That's what you can start doing. Start praying for the nations. Start praying for all the peoples. Start praying for the languages and the tribes that have yet to be reached. And in so doing, I will pray that God sends some of you to them to shine the light of the gospel for the very first time in their history. Why? Because it's not our mission, it's not our story, it's His mission. It's his story, and we get the joy and privilege of being a part of it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Off to your next seminar.